I want to, um, those of you who have been around for a few years have heard me speak many times and, um, and, and for which I'm, I'm grateful and sometimes quite astonished, but uh, this morning is a little bit different from me. I really want to um, ask for your uh, kind of room, if you like, in your mind, your thinking for me just to share some things that are on my mind and on my heart and it's very difficult for me to put into into words, some of the things that I've been throwing around and praying about in, uh, in, in 35 minutes or so. So I, I really want to ask for your forgiveness. Imagine that I'm painting a big oil painting, and, and it might not make a huge amount of sense to start with, but we'll get there in the end. Um, but I, I remember when I was 18, I felt a strong call to the ministry, and many of you have heard my story before, and I, I immediately went to see my pastor and he refused to sign any papers that would allow me to go to Spurgeon's Bible College. Um, instead, he instructed me because those were the days when like, you know, when my pastor, whatever my pastor said is what I, what I did. And so he said, you need to go and get a degree. And, and, uh, and he committed to apprentice me for about seven years and we church planted and I, I was a full-time teacher and then a school administrator and church planting and various different things. And I remember before going to see Warwick, um, I had very clear idea as to what I, um, what I believe church should look like. Because at 18, you've got a really clear idea as to what everything should look like, right? Um, and, uh, and I remember sitting in a field in the, in near, near where we lived at the time and, and imagining in my mind's eye crowds of people knowing that God had called me to communicate and I imagined in my mind's eye crowds of people and me speaking to them which is not a bad thing it's not a it's not a bad thing but as I got older and I started to church plant and you know in your church plant and there's everybody comes out on a Sunday and there's 12 of you and four of the 12 are your family and all your family are the worship team and you've set out the church chairs and sound system, and you're the one doing the, uh, the do, you remember, do you remember the overhead projectors? Remember that? Some of you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about, you know, and you had to get the words right, and you know, all that, and you're thinking, okay, where are the crowds? <laughs> and all you dream about is actually filling a room, just any room would do, it doesn't even have to be a big room, just, just fill a room, just make me feel like this whole church thing is working. And uh, we plodded along, didn't we? You know, 12 went to 15. like, revival. It was because Sarah had another baby and, uh, or two. Whatever it takes, Lord, just fill this room. And, 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 you know, as you get older, and I went through my 20s, and we were working hard, and we were church planting, and the church did grow. Eventually, the Lord had pity on me, I think, and and sent people. This kind of idea of what church should be actually hadn't shifted much from when I was 18. This, 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 that church in, in its essence and church planting is really quite simple in our Western culture. And, and this is some of what I've really been wrestling with over the last 
few months because if I want to plant a church and I want to fill a room, here's what we need to do. And I can, this is Church Planting 101, although this is in the really small print. They won't show you this, but this is really what goes through lots of pastors' minds. And I have to confess my mind as well that as long as we do something slightly different or better than the church down the road, I'll fill a room. If we just do, if we just kind of have Disney characters in the kids section, and we have this amazing nursery and phenomenal U2 style worship and lights and lasers, and I just preach and I'm funny and I've got you know uh, like a V-neck T-shirt and really tight pants and you know and I and I just do. I just do all that, then I will attract this crowd and I will fill a room and then I'll throw it on Instagram and social media it up and more people will come. Then we have two services and God is blessing and, and he's changing and it's brilliant. There's pictures and selfies and we fill a room and then I'm like, is that what church is all about? Filling a room? Because church planting is easy. You give me enough money, I'll fill a room. I'll fill a room. But then I look at the Old Testament, and this is what I started really wrestling with in June. And some of you who have kind of walked alongside me in this will know this journey. And sometimes it was like, oh, God, what is it you're trying to say? And, and, and I started looking at what church should be as far as God is concerned. I started in the temple, and, 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 and so in the, in the Old Testament, the temple was the focal point of the nation. The nation would gather, and in the temple, the presence and transformational God would turn up in His glory, and there would be a fear, and there would be a reverence, and there would be a life transformation that would happen as a result of God's presence coming in His temple. That he wouldn't have to try and figure out great ways to promote or market. The presence of God himself would draw the people to come to him. And I long for the presence of God to fill this temple. But in our culture, we've created this really interesting mind frame. It starts with very, very small children, especially in the millennial and and generation X kind of the generation X who are, who, who are, um, are giving birth to millennials, this idea of, of independence, that everything that you need is in you, you can do this, but also this, this idea that if you don't like something, then you can just go and find something else that you do like. So I'll give you an example. Um, I love uh, using Airbnb and for those of you who don't know, Airbnb is a way of getting cheap accommodation if you go to a city. And the first thing that you do when you go onto Airbnb is you look to see what the ratings are. And if 100 people have said, yeah, this is four stars out of five stars, you feel confident because you look at their comments and you actually assess what the place is like by the ratings that people have placed upon it. I love those rating systems. Because if you're really clever and you spend a lot of time, you can start piecing together what the place is really like by people's comments and the rating system. I was on Facebook yesterday and, and, uh, and I went to the Willow Park South uh, Facebook page to post a video. And by the way, if you've not joined Facebook, Willow Park South, WP South, so it's facebook.com slash WP South. 
um, then uh, you should do so, because I'm going to be starting to post a few more little videos we'll come to in a little while. But I noticed that I hadn't noticed before, but you can leave reviews. So immediately my attention is like, okay, eight reviews, let's have a look. And it's five star, praise the Lord, five star, praise the Lord, four and a half star. Five star, never liked them anyway. and They're not here anywhere. We went to KGF. Uh, four, five star, I'm joking. Five star, five star, five star, two star. I know. Pete Bennett, where are you? I'm not even joking. Pete Bennett left two stars and he's not here this morning. Just wait. Two stars. I was quite relieved it was Pete because I thought, well, he probably hasn't even figured out how to work. He's a doctor, but, you know, probably hasn't figured this out yet. But is that not what we do when it comes to church? The whole idea of church being something that we come and visit and then rate, it's actually part of our culture now. The question, how was church this morning? Isn't that a weird question? Because if you look at what church actually means in the Old Testament, it means ecclesia, and in the New Testament, sorry, it means ecclesia, which literally means gathering. So how was church? We are church by nature when we gather together as Christians. We are church. Church also means that, uh, that we are the bride of Christ, that we're connected to Jesus. So asking the question, how was church, is actually a strange, strange question to ask. But we do that. We rate it. We assess it. Well, I'll give it three stars out of five because the kids' work wasn't great. Or the worship was a little loud. Or the preacher went on longer than his allotted time. Or the decoration in the big room is weird, it's green. What's that all about? Or, you know, well, the hot dogs were really burnt. Curtis warned us, but please, they were, you know. And we rate it. And if we don't like it according to what we think church should be, we go and find another one. I do not see that in his scriptures. I just don't see it. And yet I have to confess as pastor here for almost seven years, I have bought into the idea that if we can just get our rating up, then we will fill a room and then we will be successful. And God has completely dismantled that over the last few months. And I have to ask your forgiveness in all sincerity because my focus has been on filling a room rather than actually looking to see what God's priority is rather than my preference. I have lots of preferences. But what is God's priority? What is God's rating system? What would God put, forgive me for putting it this way, put five star on church and, uh, uh, you know, dot com, what would be a five-star rating as far as God was concerned? What is his priority? Never mind what my preference is, because if I'm being authentic to what I say I believe in, which is Jesus, then surely I have to therefore look to see what Jesus wants in a church. And I'm going to guess, even without looking at the scriptures, that Jesus' priority isn't that we have Disney characters in the kids' room. Or that we have the very best worship or the best lighting or the best sound system or the best media or the best nursery or the best youth group. I'm guessing that is not his priority. I don't even need to look at the scriptures because I look at all those things and what I actually see is that's cultural priority rather than biblical priority. So the question began in June and July, what is God's priority when it comes to church? And I started searching the scriptures, reading books, listening to sermons, praying. His priority Acts chapter 2, 
and verse 42. I'm going to show you the answer as we look at what this real life vision, our real life vision, R-E-A-L, is the redeemed life, the empowered life, the active life, and the listening life. And so what I'm looking at is what does this real life look like within a church context? What is God's priority? So Acts chapter 2, let me read to you what I believe would get a five-star rating. Even Pete would give this a five-star rating. Acts 2 verse 42, he's not going to live that down. And they, this is the new Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Now, for those who've been around church so long, don't switch off like, yeah, okay, I've heard this. I know this. Just, Just stay with me, okay? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, not not just Sundays, that can't be right. Day by day attending the temple together? Oh wait, and breaking bread in their homes. Day by day, everyday church. Not just for an hour, and some would say preferably an hour and ten minutes, but let's be honest, it's more likely to be an hour and a half. I'm really sorry for that extra 20 minutes of being in the house of God. More than that, day by day, I'm being facetious to prove a point, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So that is a five-star church. And we're going to, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to break it apart a little bit and just look at some fundamentals in that passage as to what actually makes God's priority alive in a church. But what we've done now, and we've made conferences and books and CDs and online video games and everything based on it, we formalize it and we say, if you do this and this and this and this, then you will result in a New Testament church. And then ironically, we start rating this and this and this and this and go, well, you're not very good at that, so you're not going to be very good at... And we fall back into the same habits that we're trying to get away from, which is just trying to improve what we do rather than focus on who we should be. I've been reading Revelation again for... a. a, uh, for a fresh look over the summer. And I have to say, Revelation really does contain some of the most sobering and scary verses in the Bible for Christians. Revelation 3, verse 1 to 3. This is God, this is Jesus, talking to the seven churches and to the angel of the church in Sardis. He instructed to write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Listen to what Jesus says to this church. I know your works, so they're busy. They're not sitting around. They're actually actively working in church. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not 
found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. You see, God's plan ultimately for us as a people, as a humanity, is to, is to bring us back to where He created us to be at, at, in, in creation, perfect. So the New Testament uses words like reconciliation. We're reconciled back through Jesus, through a faith and belief in Jesus. We become new in Him. We're given a robe of righteousness, so we become like Him. We're infilled by the Holy Spirit so we can do things like him. This is God's plan, all so that we can bring him glory and see transformation in our world. Transformed lives. Our vision as a church is to see people's lives transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley. We were looking for transformation. So I had to go back and look to my and pray and spend a lot of time. And I say some front of my wife she knows this is what the summer has really been filled with other than the other pastoral work is this consideration are we seeing please listen and I say this with conviction are we seeing lives transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley are we as a church experiencing what we read at the back end of Acts chapter 2 that God is adding to his church day by day. And then are those adding actually being transformed? Because here's what I do see, is I see lives dead, but looking like they're alive. That's my sense. Is that in Kelowna, we are, in the West, we are phenomenally good at faking it. Social media, thank you very much. Look at how happy I am. While my life is falling to bits, at least I've got a great selfie. But Kelowna is like that amped up. And it's this scripture. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So at 4.30 this morning... Quite literally, I was wrestling with God, saying, God, I don't want to say this because this is how you empty churches, not fill a room. (laughs) By standing in front and saying, friends, have you got the reputation of being alive while being dead and dying? And so I had to come to the conclusion this morning, very early, with lots of coffee, that I would rather... Speak. This is, it's not like I'm making it up. It's, it's right there. Jesus accusing a hard-working church of having a reputation of being alive but dead. So am I saying this church is dead? I don't believe that. But I have to ask the question. Are we seeing lives transformed? And are we as a church being continually becoming more like Jesus? Or do we have a reputation of looking like the lights and light, and Kelowna's brilliant at this. Great lights, great music, great life, great car, great house, while at the same time, life is falling apart. And how do I know that? Because I'm the guy that gets called in when it falls apart. Pastor, help us. It's too late. 
it's too late. Maybe years ago, if you had received and heard and repented and remembered and strengthened that which is dying, it wouldn't be dead now. So how do we get to this place where we are a church that is alive? Because it says, remember then, if the scripture's still up, can you just, can you just put it? Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. What is it that they had received and heard? I think that's a fair question. How, in other words, do we avoid having the appearance of being alive while dead? What is it that we have received and heard that maybe will prompt us to repent so that we can then strengthen ourselves, the Scripture says. So I started a study in John. I was just reading John anyway as part of my reading. And and I started looking especially at the final words of Jesus before he went to the cross. Again, as a pastor, I have the privilege, and I, and I choose that word very purposefully, I have the privilege of regularly um, being in, with somebody in their final moments. And uh, it's heartbreaking and awful. And while at the same time, if the family and the person knows Jesus, is this incredible sense of God's presence. And so... I remember with Ed, and we just, we just I don't know if Bonnie is, is here this morning. Is Bonnie there? Bonnie. Um, Bonnie and I have chatted about this, and I, and, and I just remember the, my, one of my final visits with Ed, him holding me for a long time. And you know what you do in those moments is you listen really carefully, because you know that these words are really important. You lean in. You don't ignore. You, you lean in. And Bonnie, we love Ed, and we miss him already, and we love you too, and it's great to see you surrounded by friends and family. But what a hope he had, and I want to lean in and hear what he has to say, his final words. And I think it's okay for me to say the same about Jesus here, because these are his final words. And what he does is he encourages the disciples, and he says unbelievable things. He says, you're going to do greater things than than I have seen. It's to your advantage that I go away, which would have been mind-blowing for them because they would have thought, how are we going to do anything when you're not here? But it's to, my advantage, to your advantage that I go away because then you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you're going to do greater things. So what they didn't do is then they didn't get like a, a big white piece of paper and start planning how they were going to plant churches and lights, lasers, and kids' ministry. They didn't do that. The instructions that Jesus gives in this passage are very, very simple. And there's really only two instructions. The first one I'm going to share today, and as he says this really clearly, he says, look, in the light of all that I'm asking you to do, in the light of these greater things, in the light of of you changing the world, here's what I want you to do. Here's the number one thing you need to do. And he says it in John 15 and verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. That's the instruction. How do you stay alive? 
How do you not have the appearance of being alive while being dead? How do you see lives transformed? How is this world, we read later on in Acts, turned upside down by the words of these men and these women in the upper room? How did all that happen? Was it by good program? Was it by good room filling? Was it by good kids ministry or anything like that? Or No, it was by them abiding in Jesus. The simplicity of it, I think, worries us. <laughs> because I think there's part of us that really likes to complicate things. Because we feel like if you give us tasks to do, we can rate ourselves. And we can kind of gauge where we are at in the whole scheme of winning the world to Christ. Just give us a formula or a program or something that we can just jump into and we feel like we're doing something for him. Whereas the reality is the simplicity of abiding in Christ is incredibly simple and yet devastatingly hard work. Because what we have to do in order to abide in Jesus is to actually not abide in other things. The, the good things that this world has to offer can become sinful things if we abide in them, connect and become dependent. Abiding means connecting and being dependent. So when we connect and we're dependent, we become codependent on certain things. So when certain things are up, we're up. When certain things are down, we're down. When our kids are doing well, we're okay. When our relationship is doing poorly, we do poorly. And we have this roller coaster of codependence because we are abiding in the wrong thing. We become dependent on it. And this is why Jesus says, build your house on the solid rock rather than on the codependency that we have in our world that will always at some point fail you. If you are dependent and connected with Jesus, then it gives you solidity. But more than that, that's how we're going to see lives transformed in this church. By you and me. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Because here's what we've developed in our wonderful Western church. Is this sense of, well, Glenn, if that guy could just do a better job. If he could be a bit more like this and a little less like that. After all, we pay him to do the work of ministry. Oh, no, wait. That's not what it says in Ephesians, is it? But, you know, that's our mindset. If we do it, if he needs to do it, then I will come along and I'll rate depending on whether I think he's doing a good job or a bad job or whether the worship's doing a good job or a bad job. And if it's not, then I'm going to go to a different church. It's mind-blowingly, diametrically different from where God intended the church to be. But here's the danger is the pastor then looks at his people and says if they would do it all. So we've got this kind of weird... I'm waiting for you to do stuff and you're waiting for me to do stuff and in the middle, people aren't being transformed. But if we devote ourselves individually to abiding in Christ, connected and dependent on Him, then all the other things will follow. So that reputation of being alive will actually result in the favor that the New Testament Christians experienced in Acts chapter 2. So... question has to be then is do we have that 
Do you have that abiding relationship with Jesus Christ? Or has church become something that happens for an hour and 20 minutes once a week? And then we go away and we abide in other things. And then blame God when these things don't work out the way we want them to. It's insane. If you actually think about it logically, it makes no sense at all. Well, I went to church last Easter. And now my family's falling apart. Why would God let this happen? Well, like... What planet are we on to think that that's how life actually works? That that which we're abiding in lets us down and we blame that which we're not abiding in. Maybe if we abided in Jesus, then he will never let us down regardless of what's happening here. In fact, this will give you the strength to deal with and not just cope with, but be victorious over. Does that mean that everything's always easy? No. But the abiding in Jesus, Do we do that? Do we work for it? Here's here's the reality of what's going to happen to every one of us. And this causes me a great deal of pastoral angst. There will be a day. And for some of us, it might be far quicker and sooner than we think. There will be a day when we stand before Jesus and he will say one of two things to us. He'll either say, well done, or he'll say, I never knew you. Well done, or I never knew you. And I think sometimes we live very ignorantly in the middle thinking that he'll let us off in the end. It's not what the scripture says. And so as I consider what real life is and what transformational church is and what church should look like, it has to look like a group of people, the ecclesia, gathering together day by day in temples and in homes, being devoted themselves personally to being connected and dependent upon Jesus. And if we do that, everything else will follow. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will follow follow. So as we, as you devote yourself to abiding in Jesus and everything that looks like, and I devote myself to abiding in Jesus and all that that looks like, then together I believe we're starting on that first step of what a five-star church actually looks like in the sight of God. Because God is most interested in not just us as a corporate group, but you and your heart today, this morning. So friends, are you dead? but having the appearance of being alive. Because the good news is, is that Jesus, who hung on the cross, who died for you, for your sins, for all that believe in him, all their sins, hanging on the cross, dying with him, and then this newness of life, this robe of righteousness placed upon you, that is yours. Why would we want to connect and abide in anything else? Because the reality was, as I was considering all this, I can point out four or five different things that seem to be the mark of a Christian church out of Acts 2 and, uh, and supported from the rest of the scriptures. But I realized that unless we actually start with the abiding, then the rest of it just becomes a formula that in four or five months we'll be looking for another formula. Because I'm going to be able to do a big push on community groups over the next few months. And you'll be like, hurrah, join for three, four months. 
and then it'll be abiding in something else. Or we need to abide in volleyball for a bit. Or I need to abide in my business for a bit. Or I need to abide with my kids for a bit. Or I need to abide with my degree for a bit. Or my music, or my art. Or whatever it might be. I'm going to abide for that for a bit because somehow in that, I believe that is going to save me. That's going to give me the hope that I'm lacking. While all the time we know deep down inside, that's just a lie from the pit. It will let you down. And so then, we as a church, as we're abiding, devoting ourselves to abiding in Christ, then we are ready for those other things. Because actually, those other things just are a natural outworking of abiding. I'd go as far as saying that real life, real church, transformational church, will, be, will uh, naturally happen if we all devote ourselves to abiding in Christ. So where does this abiding start? Well, it says in Revelation, as I bring this to an end, that, that it's really clear. It says, what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. What does repentance mean? Repentance literally means not just confessing and saying sorry. Repentance literally means a total and complete change of action. It's a laying down, I am not doing that again, I'm doing this instead. So it's not enough to sing in a, an emotional song and say, Lord, I'm really sorry, while at the same time thinking, when I have an opportunity, I'm just going to go right back and abiding. It's actually a conscious decision to lay it down and to move on in faith and belief that your confession of forgiveness actually has worked. In your bulletin, you hopefully had a, a piece of paper that told you about the Read Scripture app. And um, this is a, a brilliant app for your phone. You can actually also go online if you don't have apps on your phone. I mean, that's crazy. I don't know how that's even possible. But um, we have a whole separate prayer ministry for those of you who don't have apps. John Casoso. Um But you, you can actually download the reading plan and... Uh, Assuming that you have an internet, interwebs. Um, but the, here's, here's why we spent some time, actually Luke pulled this together, and, uh, and we want to encourage you to do this. There's, it's a reading plan that I think would be really great as a church if we could all dedicate ourselves to reading the Word of God, because I could preach for a long time about the essence and the beauty and the importance of the Word of God. But for now, you're just going to have to trust me when I say that it's probably the number one most important thing that you can do in your life as a Christian is to spend time with the Word of God because it will result in you wanting to pray. So have a look at the app. And, and it's, I, I really like it because it's very simple. I, I found other Bible apps a little more complicated and too many bells and whistles. This is just very, very simple. And it's got the Bible um, project interwined in it as well with the videos. It's very, very good. And... So here's what I'd like you to do as a church and in community groups is to actually commit to reading uh, the scriptures together. So you devote yourself and then the next part is them gathering together to hear the apostles' teaching. So there's this devotion to, of yourself in your own time to abiding in Christ through reading the word of God, through prayer. Friends, if we can't do that, then please do not kid yourself about abiding in Christ. If we cannot prioritize that, 
spending time daily in the Word of God and prayer, then no matter what we say, maybe it's that Revelation 3 again that there's just this reputation of being alive. So have a look at that app. So where do we go from here? I want us to pray because maybe maybe you're feeling, yeah, Glenn, you know what? I've worked really, really hard at giving the impression that all is well, whereas actually I'm, I'm, maybe you don't even need to feel like you're falling apart. You just know that the light's kind of gone out. It's just, it's just spiritually, it's dull. Well, praise the Lord that, first of all, that you're conscious of that, because I believe that's the Holy Spirit. And the beauty is, is that even before you leave today, that you can actually come before the Lord and, and ask and confess and repent, like the Scripture says, to get back onto the right track. But I want you to understand that there's work that follows. Not work for your salvation, but the Bible says work out your salvation. So because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we want to work for Him. Because of His love for us and our love for Him, we want to do the right thing. And so it doesn't just stop here. As I've said constantly over the last four to six weeks, this is not church. This is just a gathering together. Church starts when I say amen at the end and you go and you live your life out in front of other people, transforming day by day, seeing lives transformed, and it will start by you abiding in Christ. So that's what I'd like us to do. We're going to pray. Sarah is going to lead us in some music. I want us to take some minutes, just a few minutes, to consider, would Jesus say those words? Do you have the appearance of being alive? Strengthen that which is dying inside. Confess, repent. Remember what you've heard and you've received. Let's pray around that now. I believe completely that you've heard my prayer today and this week and in the summer, Lord, that you would give us a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. That, God, we would have an experience with you, not just head knowledge, but, God, you would change and transform us. And, Lord, I pray through the words that I have communicated this morning and the worship and this atmosphere now that God that you would you would answer that prayer Lord for those who are in the room who are distant from you those who are desperately trying to assess and rate different aspects of church and place blame on that but Lord I pray that like your scripture says that they would examine themselves. 
that God, that you would grow a church here in the south of people who are abiding in you, committed to one another, on mission. But Lord, I pray that you would give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation right now, that we would be able to hear you. Lord, I would ask as well that as we sing, that you would continue to minister to us. Father, forgive us for abiding in other things. Forgive us, Lord, for being connected and dependent on good things, but making them ultimate things. Father, forgive us. Praise your name, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus.